Well, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. If I had to give a title to today's message, it would be this. Jonah, the most awful, successful prophet of God. Now, you may think that describing a person as both, both the most awful person and the most successful person wouldn't naturally go together, but in Jonah's case, both adjectives are appropriate, and it's one of the reasons that the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, is as compelling as it is. But to make sure we're all on the same page as we begin, I want you to think, how would you complete this sentence? The story of Jonah is about fill in the blank. How might you finish that sentence? The story of Jonah is about what? Now, if you're one of our uh, younger members who's uh, grown up and uh, spent any amount of time in Sunday school, you might be uh, inclined to pipe up, the story of Jonah is about a big fish. After all, that is probably the flashiest bit of Jonah's story. But his story is not about the fish. You know more about the story, you might be inclined to say, well, the story of Jonah is about a prophet who runs from God or learning not to run from God. And while you can definitely pull that message from Jonah's story, that also is not what the story is about. The story at its heart isn't about a big fish. It's not even about the prophet Jonah himself. It's about the mercy of God. And the mercy of God given in spite, not because of this prophet named Jonah. Now Jonah, uh, he's an interesting character. And as you begin to read his story and you realize very quickly he's given the title prophet, right away you're inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt when you read what happens next. Jonah, this prophet of God, hears the word from God arise. Go to Nineveh and preach to this great city. And Jonah, of course, does the exact opposite. He arises and then he goes in the opposite direction. And immediately as you're reading the story and hearing it for the first time, you're thinking to yourself, well, why on earth would this prophet do the exact opposite of what God has commanded? Giving him the benefit of the doubt, you might think to yourself, well, maybe he's just like 95% of the human race and he just really doesn't like to speak in front of people. And God has asked him to do this uncomfortable public speaking gig and he's decided, you know what, I don't want any part of it. Most people, probably uh, most of us sitting here this morning, would do almost anything to avoid having to do anything that resembles this, public speaking. And that's when the message that you're delivering is fairly innocuous. Think back to the times when you were forced to do it. Many of the times, the experiences that we have with public speaking, they involve uh, classes that we took in high school or college where it was a requirement. Maybe it was a requirement for your job, if you had to give a presentation, or you were asked to give a toast or a speech at a party or a wedding. But now imagine that the message you're being asked to deliver is not innocuous. That you're asked instead to stand in front of a crowd of people who hate you, who are your enemies, who are not inclined to be favorably disposed to any message you have. And then imagine the message that you have to give 
is one like this, where you're going to tell your audience that they are not the nice, good people they imagine themselves to be, but rather are a bunch of liars and cheaters and murderers, and unless they repent, they will face the judgment of God. My guess is that if there were any of us willing to get up and speak in public, if that was the message, any remaining hands would probably quickly go down. And so we kind of give a passage or anything, but maybe Jonah just didn't want to have anything to do with that. Maybe he was, if he wasn't afraid of public speaking, maybe he was afraid of the reaction of the Ninevites to the message that God would bring. But the real reason, the real reason behind why Jonah ran in the opposite direction is one of the things that makes him an awful prophet. He ran not because he was afraid of public speaking, not because he was afraid of the message that he was being asked to deliver. As the story unfolds, Jonah himself gives the reason why he ran. And this is what makes him particularly awful. He ran because he knew God and he knew his character. He knew that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and loving to relent from bringing disaster. Now there's a head-scratcher. If Jonah knew that about God, why would he run? It's because the Ninevites were his enemies, the enemies of his people. And he did not want God to be gracious or merciful to them. And so he ran. But Jonah learned the hard way that you can't run from God. What follows next is, of course, a, a big ship. A big storm and a big fish. If you haven't read the story of Jonah recently, I highly recommend you go home and you read it this afternoon or later this week. It's short, succinct. It won't take you very long. After spending three days and three nights in the belly of this fish, though, God commands it to spit Jonah up and it spits him up on the shore. The word of God comes to Jonah a second time. Arise, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it what I tell you. And... Jonah goes this time. But he goes to Nineveh in the same way that a kid goes to clean their room after losing an argument with their parents. He goes, but he's not happy about it, and he's going to do everything that he can to ensure the destruction of the Ninevites. So he arrives in the city. He goes about a day's journey within it, and then he begins to preach. And this is what he says. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The end. It is arguably the shortest sermon recorded in the Bible. It's even shorter in the Hebrew language. Only five words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This message that he preaches, this sabotage message becomes the second reason that you could say Jonah is the worst of the prophets, the most awful of prophets. The most awful, not because of the brevity of the message. I'm sure it's possible to preach a two-second message and have it be faithful. I've never tried that. Uh, Maybe some Sunday when we throw a lot of hymns in, uh, we'll uh, give it a shot. It's not the brevity that is the problem. It's the message itself. In particular, what it leaves out. 
the message is simple. Yet 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. It's all law. It's all bad news. But it's what he leaves out which is the worst and what makes him the most awful prophet. Considering that that is the entirety of the message, it presents a different God than the God of Israel. Remember, Joseph himself, or not Joseph, Jonah himself, uh, he proclaims that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But you don't see that picture of God in the message that Jonah delivers. Instead, the only picture from God that you can get from that message that Jonah delivers is that God is an angry, vengeful, wrathful God. There's no hope of repentance, no, no hope of anything in the message itself. But thankfully, the, the story of Jonah, it doesn't end there. Because for all of that, for as awful as Jonah is as a prophet... For as awful as he is, he is as successful. He's arguably the most successful prophet of God by any measure when you read through the Old Testament. It, you could do a study of this later this week if you wanted, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Most of the time when God sent a prophet to his people, they didn't hear. Even though you might say they were predisposed to hear because they were the children of Abraham. They were God's own people. You would think that they would listen to a message from his prophets, and yet most of the time the prophets were ignored. Or they were threatened. Or they were persecuted. Or beaten or killed. safe to say, when you read through the history of the Old Testament and the prophets and the messages they give, hearing the words of the prophets, it didn't happen very often. Not hearing that resulted in repentance and a change of heart. Jonah is notable in the response of the Ninevites. So he goes into the city and he preaches this message. A message which is bare bones. It is simply a recitation. Hey guys, in 40 days, all of you are going to be wiped out. The end. There's nothing else in that message. There's no hope that maybe if you repent and change your ways, God might Relent? Nothing. It's just a quick shot. This is what's going to happen to all of you. But the incredible thing is, these people who are not predisposed to hear and listen to a message from the prophet of God, they actually, they don't just hear it, they listen to it. And they repent from the least of them to the greatest. When word of this very abbreviated message reaches the king of the city. He issues a proclamation, and this is what he says. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. These people, these foreigners, 
They heard this message of impending destruction. And with no other information about this God who is soon to destroy them, they fall on his hoped-for mercy. And what the people of Nineveh find, they come to see and understand for themselves that this God who they heard so imperfectly about from the prophet Jonah is truly a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Because God, upon seeing their repentance and how they turned from their evil, He gave them all of that. He relented from the disaster He was going to send on the city. This makes Jonah the most successful prophet of God in the Old Testament. And so in the book of Jonah, the story that bears his name, we see him as the most awful and yet the most successful prophet of God. And it's for this reason, I believe, that Jesus gives him the shout-out that he does in his ministry. Later on, nearing the midway point of his ministry, people were asking Jesus for a sign. They wanted to see some tangible proof that he was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, never mind the fact that at this point he'd already done countless miracles, healing people, healing the sick, and casting out demons. They wanted more, and Jesus said, enough. No other sign will be given to this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as he was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was pointing forward to what was to come his death, and rest in the tomb for three days. More than that, his resurrection from the tomb as the sign of signs that would point to the fact that he was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. See, I don't believe it's just the happy correlation between numbers, which is what Jesus latches onto when he calls out Jonah in this way and connects his own death and resurrection to the time that Jonah spent in the fish. It's the entire message of the book itself that God's grace and mercy and love is not just for a select chosen few, but in fact is for all people, people of every nation and tribe and language. What this means for us as we consider the prophet Jonah and his story as a whole, there are going to be moments where we find ourselves stepping into the shoes of Jonah himself, where we find our own hearts being hardened towards those we consider our enemies, those who we feel deserve nothing but God's judgment and wrath. And in those moments, we need to hear and experience what Jonah heard and experienced outside of Nineveh. That God truly does care for all people. That God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But there are arguably more times we find ourselves stepping into the shoes of the Ninevites. Where because of our own sins and failings and mistakes, we wonder if there's any hope of restoration, if there's any hope that 
people could still love us, that God himself could still love us. And then the message of this book also is for you. We need to hear again that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is God's nature at heart. In all of these ways, we come to know God. This is the summation of Jesus' entire ministry, encapsulated in this one story from the Old Testament, that God's love and grace and mercy is for all. What you will come to find and experience is that there is more grace in God than sin in you. We praise Jesus for this. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, this morning we give you thanks for the witness of Jonah, your most awful yet successful prophet. We give you thanks for the words of this book, for the message that it imparts We give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, who, pointing back to this book, revealed to us that you are a God who loves mercy, a God who calls each of us to repentance and restores us, just as you restored the Ninevites. In Jesus' name, amen.